This is the Ultra Running History Podcast. I'm your host, Davey Crockett. Thanks. Thanks for coming. This is episode 16. This is part three of my history of endurance riding. In this episode, we will finally get to the historic founding of the Western States Endurance Run. By 1970, with all the numerous endurance rides held across the country, the Western States Trail Ride, or the Tevis, had emerged as being the toughest and the premier endurance ride in the country. It had survived intense criticism over the years from the public and animal rights groups. Under the leadership of Wendell Roby, the ride had made adjustments, weathered the storms of criticism, and increased in popularity. In all, across the country, there were nearly 100 endurance rides of various flavors held in 1971. During 1971, there were at least 20 new rides established with distances between 25 and 100 miles, and several of them were influenced by the Western States Trail Ride in one way or another. Some started to award belt buckles, and some rode on tough trails. For example, the Wasatch Mountain 50-mile endurance ride in Utah was very tough, doing loops near the present-day Wasatch Front 100 course with some big climbs. Many of the new events cropping up in 1971 did not hold the same standards of past endurance rides and were doing their own thing. Two horses died that year in a new 25-mile ride and tie race in California, again bringing serious public backlash on all types of endurance rides. Many Arabian horse breeders refused to sell horses to endurance riders. From the Western States riders' point of view, something needed to be done. 1971 was a rather contentious period for the sport between those who wanted endurance rides to be races and those who wanted them to stay competitive trail rides, where the ride is judged on various factors. When a new 50-mile ride from Sacramento to Auburn was being planned, about 25 riders from California and Nevada who supported the Western States flavor of rides met together to discuss putting into place an organization that would align better with their preferred form of endurance riding. In 1972, the American Endurance Ride Conference, or AERC, was formed. AERC rides had a set distance, a finish order, and award given to the first finisher. Any outsider would call that a race, but the founders of the AERC eventually chose to avoid at all costs the words race and winner. This subject was hotly debated by the AERC founders, most who wanted to preserve the racing aspects of the flavor of endurance riding. Now, let's get back to the races that were called rides. In 1971, a young man, age 16, Hal Hall, entered the now famous Western States Trail Ride for the second time. In 1969, when he was only 14, he attempted the ride, but was in way over his head and didn't finish. 1971 would be his second attempt. Also in the field was a first-timer, a young, large, athletic rider, 23-year-old Harry Gordy Ainsley of Colfax, California, who rode on an 8-year-old horse, Rebel. Staggered starts were used with small groups of riders starting together. Gordy started in the 14th group, Hall in the 9th group. 
Hall, young, fast, and eager, kept up with the leaders for many miles, but at Michigan Bluff, his horse was ruled lame and he was pulled out by the veterinarians. Hall would have to try again the next year. Gordy, disadvantaged because of his larger frame and weight, would have to run many miles ahead or behind his horse to take the weight off and make faster progress. He finished at the fairground stadium with a time of 19 hours 37 minutes, about 5 hours after Donna Fitzgerald, the winner of the Tevis Cup that year. For that 1971 finish, 74 finished, and there were another 76 riders and horses that did not finish for various reasons including lame horse, thrown off horse, lost horseshoe, disqualified for switching a rider, fatigue, horse pulse too high, missed cutoff, and rider quit. For many riders it took multiple years to learn and succeed in earning a buckle with a finish in 24 hours or less. There was no handbook or training manuals to refer to. They learned from their failures and successes. The Friday before the ride each year was both a stressful and exciting day for the riders. They would arrive at Squaw Valley and get their horses all ready and have them inspected by the veterinarians. Each year many of the horses would not pass examinations. Being passed off to start was a huge initial victory. Friday evenings were exciting. The rider meeting was held with all the last-minute instructions. That evening also was the social event of the year for the riders. It was like a big reunion when they could exchange ideas, tips, and get educated. It also was a big party with dancing and a lot of drinking, making it tough for some to feel ready in the morning for the start. The 1972 ride was very historic for a new reason. Wendell Roby allowed 20 soldiers from Fort Riley, Kansas to come and test their endurance ability to try to cover the course on foot during the ride. Their goal was to complete it in less than 48 hours. An adventure team had been organized at Fort Riley and they sought for a very challenging test. The wife of Captain Joseph McCarthy, who was on the team, Mary McCarthy, had finished the Tevis in 1967. McCarthy had brought forward the idea to march the Western States Trail. Roby was contacted and was enthusiastic about the idea. Captain McCarthy would be the commanding officer of the team and crew chief. Lieutenant Larry Hall would lead the team on the trail. McCarthy and Hall came out about 10 days before the event to make plans with Roby. McCarthy explained what the adventure team was all about. Quote, the Army has a new program of providing its men with challenges that give them an opportunity to see the country. It is adventure training providing an incentive challenge rather than marching in circles. About 30 soldiers were bussed out, 20 to march, and 10 to support. The soldiers started a day before the riders and were guided by experienced rider and runner Jim Larimer. They marched in fatigues and boots, carrying canteens but carried no food. They were sent off by a round of big cheers. Immediately they faced a 2,500 foot climb to 8,750 foot emigrant pass. Enthusiastic chatter was quickly replaced by laboring breathing as they strained to climb up in the thin air. Emigrant pass extinguished any cockiness among them. Doubts arose as they tried to catch their breath in the dry, thin air. 
At that point, it was decided to break up into groups of three, and eventually they became scattered across many miles, never all together. At each ride checkpoint, they were crewed and fed with meals ready to eat, MREs. The soldiers stationed in Kansas certainly were not ready for the altitude heat and climbs. Many dropped out along the way, but seven were successful in marching all the way to the finish. Six finished with a time of 44 hours, 54 minutes, and another soldier finished in 46-49. That year, Hal Hall, now age 17, finished for the first time on his Arabian horse. He had been determined to do well and came in second place. He won the Hagen Cup for the best conditioned top horse to finish. At the awards banquet that Sunday evening, the finishing soldiers were presented with many awards, including a trophy for the first finishers on foot prepared by Roby. One soldier said, quote, It's a once-in-a-lifetime thing. I'd never do it again unless I had to, but what a great sense of satisfaction to have finished. The Fort Riley Post stated, This was the first time the trail had been completely traveled on foot, with a time factor involved. Gordy Ainsley saw the soldiers and knew that they had covered the course on foot. He passed by the finishing seven during the early morning and finished ten minutes quicker than the previous year. In 1973, Gordy went to a 50-mile ride event to attempt to run it. In 1967, the Castle Rock Ride, patterned after the Western States Trail Ride, was established. Locals described the ride as a test similar to the famed Tevis Cup Ride in Placer County, except on a smaller scale. By 1973, it was a 50-mile point-to-point ride that attracted riders from several states. That year, it started on the Pacific Coast Beach near Davenport, California, and went through Castle Rock State Park and finished at a ranch in Los Gatos near San Jose. Gordy successfully ran the course in about nine hours, finishing in the middle of the pack of riders who had two mandatory one-hour stops. Later in 1973, Gordy rode again the Western States Trail Ride, but only made it to Robinson Flat, about mile 90, which took him seven hours. His horse was lame, and he couldn't continue. He gave away that horse and intended to ride again the next year in 1974, but procrastinated finding another horse. Drew Barner, Roby's assistant, suggested and encouraged Gordy to run the course on foot to try and finish it in under 24 hours. She said to him, quote, We're all wondering when you're going to leave the horse behind and just do it on foot. In the previous years, when Gordy would ride, he would run much of the course anyway, leading or following his horse. Gordy decided to run the 1974 Western States Trail Ride and wanted to finish much faster than the soldiers did two years earlier. Back in 1972, his running coach, Pete Hansen, expressed the belief that no one could run that trail in under 24 hours. Gordy believed otherwise. Wendell Roby also had his doubts if Gordy could do it. He said, quote, It is probably a universal opinion that it is beyond the powers of human endurance to span the 100 miles of this rough mountainous trail on foot in a period of 24 hours, but Harry, Gordy, probably will make one or two of the control stations within the operational schedule. A lot of people thought it was impossible, but... I just came back to the map. All I had to do was 4.1 miles an hour, average. And it just seemed like I ought to be able to do that. 
To train, Gordy would get a car ride to Michigan Bluffs and then run to Auburn. He did that four times in six weeks. In preparation, a few days before the race, he rode his dirt bike to various points on the course and dropped off Gatorade that he would need during the run. You have to realize that the night before I ran my epic run, I scooped out the horse manure from a, a horse trailer, laid down my sleeping bag, spent the night with the wafting aromas around me. You know, I got dressed in the dark and Ralph and Betty Deaver, the timers, they were sitting there with a gas lantern on their, on their table. And 10 minutes before the start, you know, it's like nobody was there. They're all back there taking care of their horses. I walk up to them and I say, well, I guess I'll be heading out now. And they said, good luck, Gordy. And I disappeared into the dark. And that was it. On race morning, Gordy was given a good head start on the horses and tried to stay ahead of most of them for the first 30 miles or so to Robinson Flat. With all the single track trails in that section, he didn't want to be delayed by stepping off the trail to let horses go by, so he ran faster than planned. The horses then started to pass him as he slowed, but he passed them again as they slowed and took their mandatory rest stops. A kind timing crew gave him canned peaches at last chance, and at Devil's Thumb he was really struggling in the 107 degree heat. He had decided to quit because he was so drained and felt so weak. His sister had stopped there with a lame horse and recognized that Gordy was dehydrated and suffering from hyponatremia. She revived him with salt and water. Thirty minutes later, he was on his way again. From Michigan Bluff to the finish, he panhandled for food and liquids from plenty of people on the course. He stopped at one point to help some riders with a horse that had collapsed in the river. With 20 miles to go, he asked for a guide rider to help pace him to the finish. Many people were curious and betting on whether he could finish by 24 hours. As the finish came closer, he had been passed by the majority of the horses and was running amidst the riders and horses struggling to make the 24-hour cutoff time. At the finish, at McCann Stadium on the Gold County Fairgrounds in Auburn, Hal Hall had finished six hours earlier and was the winner of the Tevis Cup that year. He was Gordy's friend and had gotten up several times during the night to walk his horse in order to make sure it didn't stiffen up. Hall went back to rest and asked someone to wake him up to witness Gordy's finish. Around 4.30 a.m., exciting news arrived that Gordy was close to the finish. I arrived at the fairgrounds to the track, kind of happy, kind of full of myself, you know. And so I, I jogged around the track and I did a dive forward go over the finish line. <laughs> yes, it seemed like a good idea. I didn't realize how close it was going to be. I mean, I, I only finished 13 minutes under the wire. There were a lot of cheers and congratulations. Gordy became the eighth person to cover the course on foot and the first to break 24 hours. Gordy would become the icon of the future Western States 100, and the founders would make sure to, quote, cement Gordy's place in history. For the next 44 years, he was incorrectly credited as being the first to cover the course on foot during the ride, until the story of the Soldier's March was brought into light and told in 2018. Nevertheless, Gordy would be a great ambassador for the sport, and the story of his 1974 run would be the most legendary story in ultra running. 
Three years later for the 1977 ride, Wendell Roby decided it was time to add a 100-mile run, too. He was the founder of the infamous run. And after that, Wendell came up to me and, and said what I was waiting for, you know. And he comes up to me and goes, Gordy, let's make this a yearly event. And I said, with publicity and all that? And he said, with publicity and all that. <laughs> the first year, it was called the Western States National One Day Run. Roby ordered a mammoth three-foot Tevis Cup trophy replica, a perpetual trophy for the winning runner. It became named the Wendell Roby Cup. Eventually, the trophy was given to Ann Trayson after she won ten times. Those who finished in 24 hours would receive a belt buckle with an etching of the figure of Hermes, messenger of the gods. In 1977, 14 men participated in the first official Western States Endurance Run. Their reward? The same silver belt buckle the horse riders get when they finish the course. Tradition was born. Roby said he hoped that the race that year would give Auburn a name among the physical endurance enthusiasts. He further stated, quote, from the quality and number of the interested runners signing up, it looks like the run will become a yearly event. The entry fee that first year was $30. The 1977 race was organized by the rider organization, the Western States Trail Foundation, with Gordy given the race director role. He had talked about putting in a qualifier requirement that the runners had to have completed a marathon in at most 3.15. He said, quote, we don't want anyone who isn't a good runner. Moe Livermore and Kurt Sproul were the race managers. Shannon Wheel, an experienced finisher of the ride, was invited to help with the run. The four horse inspection stations were utilized as aid stations, and the veterinarians would check the runners as they came through. 1977 was the only year when the run was held concurrently with the ride. It turned out to be the hottest day of the year. 200 riders and 14 runners started. If a runner wanted to pass a rider, they would yell, Trail! The Western States 100 starts at the base of Squaw Valley. Gradually, runners start to ascend as they travel west, up to 6,200 feet. Then to Immigrant Pass at 8,750 feet. Then climbing another 15,540 feet before descending a total of 22,970 feet, ending 100 miles later in the town of Auburn, known for its California Gold Rush history. Wheel rode along on her horse, monitoring the runners, and rode the last 40 miles with the front runner and eventual winner, Andy Gonzalez, who set the course record in 22 hours, 57 minutes. Only three runners finished. The other two finished in more than 24 hours. That helped race staff to consider extending the finish cutoff time the next year for 30 hours. Hal Hall won the Tavis Cup again that year. Planning for the 1978 run became more serious and better organized. The Western States Endurance Run Board was formally organized by Roby and the key participants were horse endurance riders, Shannon Wheel, Moe Livermore, Kurt Sproul, and Phil Gardner, and they were affectionately called the Gang of Four. 
Because of the difficulty experienced in 1977 with both runners and horses on the same trail, especially with the single track sections, the run was moved to the month before the ride. We all worked at Roby's Bank and made calls to get the word out and field calls from interested runners marketing the run mostly by word of mouth. In a 1978 Runner's World magazine, an advertisement was included that read, quote, Western State's 100-mile endurance run, an experience only for ultra-marathon veterans, coarse, rugged, uncertified over mountains, through streams with snakes and bears. All entries must pass physical exam. No one under 18, 30-hour limit. The entry fee was $10. Weather was good in 1978, but there was snow in the high country to run over. There were 63 starters, including 5 women, and there were 30 finishers. 15 finished in under 24 hours. There were 21 aid stations that year, including 6 medical checkpoints. Steve Mason of Reno lost the trail, but was found by rangers and race crew at 7 a.m. on Sunday. He went on to finish in 29 hours 38 minutes. 70-year-old legend Walt Stack finished in 38 hours 47 minutes and was listed in the official results for some reason. Stack described his experience. It was by far the hardest race for me. You have to run in the dark with flashlights and carry rattlesnake kits. 18 miles of the course is on snow. You have to run through creeks and get your feet wet. There are no running trails, just horse trails. My feet were so sore. Twins Peggy and Karen Stock got lost at mile 92. Peggy said, You get what's called runner's days. The rocks look like they're playing a movie, and I clearly heard the river talking. They were eventually found by some campers who led them out of the woods. Gordy was accompanied by a dog the entire way, Merlin, an Australian shepherd. That year, Andy Gonzalez won for the second year in a row with 18 hours 50 minutes. At the finish, Wheel said the finishers looked brutalized, but the race that year was a huge success. Roby was ecstatic and told Wheel that they had caught a bear by the tail. He knew the race would become a very big deal. Wheel proclaimed that with both the ride and the run, that Auburn was, quote, the endurance capital of the world. The run did take off. Other Mountain Trail 100 race organizers soon contacted Wheel, including Old Dominion and Wasatch Front, to pick her brain about organizing and conducting Trail 100s. In 1979, Western States was off and running with 143 starters, 96 finishers, and 67 in under 24 hours. The entrance fee increased to $50 and was being billed as the toughest foot race in the world. Runners still had not figured out how much to carry. Bill Minturn carried two quarts of water with him. Bill recalled taking a wrong turn, following footprints to a log cabin where an old prospector sat behind a barbed wire fence and yelled, Get out of here! You're not supposed to be in here. Vandals removed yellow trail ribbons and many runners got lost during the night that year. The Forest Hill Safety Club was called out to search for one runner. One runner wasn't found until 12 hours after the last finisher at a remote forest ranger station miles from the course. Many of these runners experienced running in the mountains at night for the very first time. Michael Whitworth said, 
You feel like you're being hypnotized because of running in the dark for so long. Mild hallucinations would occur. You start seeing things. You see, for instance, a deer cross in front of you, and then you realize it didn't happen at all. Just occasionally, you snap back into reality. Whitwer lost the trail three times and believed he ran an extra six miles. He said, I looked for shoe prints to figure out whether runners were doing the same things I was. Anno Tyson added, We had to get down on our knees with our flashlights to check the trail for tracks. You start imagining things in the dark. Like I thought I saw a rattlesnake, but it was a stick. It was nerve-wracking all night long. Whitwer and Tyson did have a scare running through the mining town of Forest Hill. Whitwer said, It was one of the few places where we ran on pavement. There was a bar there and some noise. Then some trucks pulled up in front of us, and I heard three or four rifles cocked. I thought, what a way to go after surviving 80 miles to get my head blown off. It turned out to be a local feud with no shots fired. Runners had their vital signs checked, including blood pressure. If their weight was down 10%, they were pulled out of the race. A few willing runners even submitted to rectal temperature readings in a little canvas privacy enclosure. Dr. Robert Lind, an emergency doctor from Rose Hill Hospital, was in charge of the medical staff. He had many medically trained people show up to help at six medical checkpoints. High school track volunteers had to carry some competitors out of the last deep canyon at No Hands Bridge above the American River. One teen said, A lot of runners were barely coherent when they came to us at the 85 mile mark. It was crazy. Mike Catlin won with 16 hours 11 minutes despite oversleeping too long and starting 10 minutes late. Doug Latimer finished in second, about 22 minutes behind. He was competing for the win but explained that he crashed about mile 85. He said, I started losing control. My legs were buckling under me. I fell down trying to walk. I had cramps and spasms at Diablo Canyon. By White Oak Canyon, the last major checkpoint, they were severe like electric shocks. A woman, Skip Swanek, of Redwood City, California, became the first woman to finish in less than 24 hours with 21 hours, 56 minutes. Moe Livermore and Kurt Sparrow, both veteran Tevis riders who served on the run board, ran that year. Kurt finished, but Moe dropped at mile 58. She said, being a runner makes you respect the horse as an athlete. I think you really run into trouble when you start looking at your horse as a vehicle. It was said that the awards dinner took an appearance of a POW camp. The runners hollow-eyed, speaking haltingly, walking stiff-legged, hobbling around with bandaged feet and knees. Catlin summed up the Western States 100 experience. Is it crazy to run 100 miles in a day? To some people it is, but for me, certainly not. It's a great thing to do. Both the Western States Trail Ride and the Western States Endurance Run became amazingly successful, but curiously for both, their place in history has been overstated. Contrary to popular belief, the Western States Trail Ride, Tevis Cup, was not the first endurance ride in history. Also contrary to some beliefs, the Western States 100 was not the first ultra. It also wasn't the first trail ultra. And it wasn't the first 100 miler. Gordy didn't invent the sport of trail ultra running as he has claimed. 
but the Western States Endurance Run was the first mountain trail 100, and it very quickly became recognized as the premier 100-miler in the world. Today's ultra runners should feel indebted to the endurance riders who paved the way towards establishing trail 100-mile races. A common kinship is felt between the two sister sports. The Trail 100s inherited many of the same procedures of aid stations, course markings, trail work, crews, medical checks, and of course, the Belt Buckle Award. Many thanks goes to the riders, and especially to the late Wendell Roby of Auburn, California. With that, this is Davy Crockett, and this is the Ultra Running History Podcast. I hope you run fast and far, enjoy life, get outdoors, and most of all, stay safe and don't take unnecessary chances. Thank you.